How do they feel? Like ghost fingers. They work, but magically they still feel severed. So you can't cast? Not really, no. One-handed, that pretty much rules out most spells. I'm not gonna forget what you did. We're gonna get those pricks for this. I don't know, Katie, maybe we should just walk away. You can walk away, but to be clear, I'm not done till I cut that son of a bitch's balls off. <laughs> I owe them that for time, yep, and I owe them triple for what they did to you. You can sit it out, okay? Um, no. We're in this together. <laughs> oh, this is so beautiful, you guys. Female friendship really is the most underrated form of love, right? Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly, everyone. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we have two lovely guests with us to discuss episode 510, Purgatory. Our first guest is the writer behind today's episode, Alex Ritter. Welcome, Alex. Hey, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me. We're also joined by Michael Luaye, who plays Hades on The Magicians. Hi, Michael. Hi. <laughs> and <laughs> Michael, there is absolutely no way we could have you on this podcast where I didn't tell you that I saw you as Hamilton in Hamilton at the SF Orpheum Theater a few years ago when you were doing that show. And you were just, you were amazing. You were phenomenal. I know it's probably heresy to say this, but I think you do it better than Lynn Manuel. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, <woo. laughs> um, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I thought that, like, given that I first saw you perform in theater, I know this is a very self-centered question, um, <laughs> a good first question might to be to have you talk about how your theater background informs the way you play Hades, who is a god and therefore very much larger than life. Wow. I guess with um, it being a larger-than-life thing it helps a lot. Theater, you're really trying to reach a, a large mass of people, especially if, especially with Hamilton, especially at the Orpheum and at other theaters that we played uh, that show with, um, you're really trying to reach every seat. Mm. And being a commanding character, like a god, you try to instill that into that same sort of expression. It's hmm. a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, this was your first episode, but you've been around the writer's room for a few years already. What sorts of things did you pick up along the way that helped prepare you for it? Yeah, I mean, this I was so excited that I got to uh, write this one as my first, my first full credit on the show. Um, like you said, I started as Sarah Gamble's assistant on season two. Um, I was her assistant season three. Then season four, I got to co-write an episode with her while I was the writer's assistant, which was such a dream writing with Sarah. Mm. But I think the the thing that I picked up the most being on the show before I got in the room is just the the crazy, wonderful, out of this world, but also very emotional tone of the show. Um, the way that you can tell very specific stories about humanity and people and relationships in this in this larger than life atmosphere, and you can do it in a way that you almost can't if you tell kind of more straightforward stories. So by the time I got into the room, it was just like, I feel I'd, I'd read all the books. I'd already been such a fan of the show. <laughs> so to go from being a fan to being part of it was was pretty incredible. It's, you know, it's kind of wild because I think we've heard a really similar answer about like why when we had John on, he was saying that that's why he likes musicals because like musicals also like yes. kind of amp up human things that you wouldn't normally get to talk about. It's just like layers oh, yeah. and layers of that in the show. <laughs> Yeah. So what do you find most interesting about your character, Michael? What makes Hades compelling to you as an actor? What's challenging about playing him? Whenever you play something that's not yourself, I think that you kind of go into the fun part of finding the things that aren't you. And then you go back and forth with the question of, can you express that well? And um, I kind of wake up with my, like, bones kind of aching, have to stretch and everything like that. I'm not a god. So <laughs> imagining what a god goes through and um, specifically what um, someone like Hades would go through um, and also trying to um, insert yourself inside of this particular world. Um, I started watching the show while I was on tour 
and then tour kind of took over. So it was um, it was fun to like get into a little bit of the storylines and to see what the characters were and everything like that, and to see how a world that's filled with magic what like what position a god would be inside of that and how he influences those type of characters and what his opinions would be on each person and like that sort of um, that sort of play. So imagining what a god is and is is it fair to say that they're like to try to humanize them? What is that sort of like, what is that play? Sorry, do you say you were, you started watching it while you were on tour? So that's before you got involved with the show? Um, yeah. Oh, I love oh, that. Wow. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I feel like. That's really great. I feel like <laughs> we've, we've talked to a bunch of the actors on the show. And part of it is because so many of the actors that are like in the core cast have been with it from the beginning. So obviously they couldn't start watching it beforehand, but (laughs) there's only like a handful of the guest stars we've talked to who had actually been like big fans of the show beforehand. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like, did that affect you? Were you like, I definitely want to go out for anything in this show or. (laughs) No. Um, It was a surprise to me when I went in for the audition, I didn't think that it was going to be, um, I didn't think that anything would come of it, to be honest. Hmm. Um, and when it happened, it was kind of like, oh, that's that that's really neat. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was a, it was it was a surprise for me. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'd be remiss in our duties as podcasters if we didn't mention that earlier this week, the announcement came down that season five would be the last season of The Magicians. So before we get yeah. into the episode, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk about that. What has it meant to you, Alex, to be a part of this show? Oh, wow. That is, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, it, it, is the, it is quite a, a huge bummer to, to realize that we are not going to be coming back for season six, and therefore we don't get to keep telling these stories that we love so much. Um, so it, it means a bunch of different things to me. First, first and foremost, uh, the material. It's I've been working on this show for for almost five years, and I am very much the the age group of these characters as they've been finding their way on the show. And so I have learned so many lessons about life and about, you know, growing and about finding your way in the world from the show I was working on as I was experiencing those things. You know, the I I just think that um, everybody who writes on our show is is so is so wonderfully talented and has has such incredible things to say about that part in your life. And so um, it's it was such a growth experience for me on a personal level as well as on a as on a writing level. And on a writing level, it's really the dream job. Uh, I am such a huge genre writer fan, but also to be able to do that with all the comedy and to do that with all the outrageous stuff and to fit, like we we got to put as much genre stuff in the show as possible while telling extremely human stories and telling a lot of jokes. So I just, <laughs> it's, it's hard to find other shows out there that do all of those things at once, you know, that that make you laugh, that make you cry, that scare the shit out of you. Like it's really, it's, uh, it checks all my boxes as a writer and I'm just going to miss so much going in and pitching jokes and scary shit with these guys every day. Wow. We'll miss you too. Do what we can to stop it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you have a campaign underway, that is amazing. I'm seriously, uh, I, I know that this show has meant a lot to so many people. So yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, it's been awesome. Yeah. All right. Episode time. Uh, so I like to start with a recap. And here is what happened this week. Josh winds up in Takerland where he finds a little girl who's also there by mistake. <laughs> Mistakers. Um, to escape. <laughs> <Ooh>. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it had Nailed to it. happen. Had to happen yeah. in season five. Always go for the pun. <laughs> Um, to escape the takers, they hop on the elevator to the underworld where they run into Penny Forty. He tells them that Hades left, and without him, there's no way to return to the world of the living. So the three of them go on a little quest to find him with the help of Benedict the Mapmaker. Good to have him back. While all this is happening, Penny and Plum meet their captor, a time traveler named Eliphas. Eliphas. Um, bent Mm -hmm. on stealing Plum's time magic from her blood or whatever. 
Elliot, Charlton, and Julia, meanwhile, try to find a way out of captivity, and Alice, Katie, and Fenn look for a way to help Margot, whose body is a little unhappy with her eye being in the underworld. So that's the basic outline. Danny, what'd you think? Well, it's always nice to see old friends. Um, we have Penny Forney, Benedict, and Hades all in one episode. I, re- <laughs> I really like that part of the plot. I love seeing just how much, like, Margot's fallen in love with Josh and, like, how she's so easily, like, open about it now and she's, like, admitting mm-hmm. it to people. And there's just so much growth there. Also, um, I noticed that Josh is still calling Margot his girlfriend, so I think we have a lot more to see there. <laughs> The Penny 23 plum story kind of pissed me off a lot. Um, <laughs> like, fuck that dude. Um, <laughs> For real. <laughs> so I love the Julia Elliott Charlton plot, too, though. There's just, like, a lot to love in this episode. I agree with you. And I really liked getting to see more of Josh. Um, and, of course, to see Penny 40 and Hades and Benedict again, like you mentioned. Josh is right. Um, Penny Forty really is a lot more zen in death than he ever was in life. And, like, <laughs> that's something we talked about before. Because the thing is, he wasn't initially. It was only after he ate the Underworld cupcake um, <laughs> that he started getting all zen. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is going on here? Like, what was the Dark King doing when he sent Josh away with the Takers? And what is that medallion? Obviously, the medallion is protecting Josh. But, like, why give him a medallion to protect him from the Takers? What's it really for? I mean, there's so many questions here, and honestly, I'm not sure. But, like, I really did laugh when Seb was just like, your death will not be in vain, but I will miss your cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really want to try Josh's cooking at this point, and we now we're cookbook. laughing about someone should make an unofficial cookbook. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh Hoberman cookbook? Yeah. yeah. Meth muffins, Absolutely. or not meth muffins. <laughs> page eight you know last year I wrote uh I co-wrote episode 409 with Sarah and in it I wrote that Josh had put together a cannoli bar for the for the big banquet that they were having and uh those cannoli those cannolis were pretty good not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) well as far as what's going on here I have zero ideas honestly I really don't um the medallion has Seb's blood on it but it kills the takers I do realize that it seems like he's trying to kill the Takers, which are kind of like a weird combination between like Hellhounds and Dementors or something. So so that Lance can come back from the dead. But um, I'm also still just kind of like, um, Elliot's right here. (laughs) 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 So I'm just curious if Seb knew exactly what he was doing. When he sent Josh down there, how does he even know all of these things to begin with? Are the Visigoths working for him? And did they steal some books from the library? There's just so many questions that are raised now. But at the same time, I doubt that he knows that they kind of have an ally in Hades. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, do you want me to, to jump in and talk about some of those? Yeah, please do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, so Seb definitely, he has a master plan. And it's a master plan that has been in the works for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, he's a very, he's, he's very single minded guy on, on his goal. Nothing else matters except achieving, uh, his, his ultimate plan. Um, and so I think you, so you've seen a little bit of that in previous episodes, how he grapples with his growing feelings for Elliot while he's been, you know, trying to, to stay true to his love who died and who he's been desperately, um, trying to, trying to find a way back to. Um, but yeah, so this is, this is a a plan that Seb has had in the works for so long and now he's finally getting it, getting to, you know, put it into motion. Which makes Um, me curious though. mm -hmm. Did he know who these heroes were when they first popped up in Fillory? It's just like, there's so many questions. (laughs) Oh boy! I mean, there he he has a how do how do I put this in a non spoilery way? Uh, yes, uh, and also he he has a, a grander role in the grand scheme of things. Um, that sounds very ominous and non specific, but the payoff's going to be so great. I promise. Ominous and non specific is is what we're used to from writers at this point. <laughs> Perfect. 
So Alex, like, this is also like just a weird place in the season, right? Like episode 10, there's still some things that have to be set up, but also you're running out of you're running out of ramp to like do the payoff. Yeah. And especially, I mean, we saw the interview with Sarah and John where they said that um they were sort of writing so that this could be a series finale as well and not just a season finale. What what are the challenges of working on an episode like this for you as a writer? It's a really fun time in the season because, you know, all season long you've you've had these signposts that you're trying to hit by a certain time, but then we get so excited about the stories as we're going that we keep putting more and more into what we want the season to be. And then once we get to this point in the episode, it's pretty much a mad or at this point in the season, it's pretty much a mad dash to the finale. Every everything, all the dominoes are fallen. So it was really cool in my episode to have a lot of these reveals about, you know, Seb Seb's big move in this episode towards his master plan, um, getting to getting to bring Hades back and talk about talk about reveal what the takers are, how their presence is is very, very bad news for um, not just for Fillory, but the entire multiverse. You know, we're really on rails to the finale. So all of the the dread and the doom and, you know, just having those big having those big reveals in an episode like this was really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Like I was saying before, Josh is still calling Margo his girlfriend. Where is mm-hmm. he at? Where is he at in processing their breakup, like from your perspective? Uh, well, from my perspective, you know, I think Josh and Margo, they they're so perfect for each other. Uh, yet maybe the machinations of kind of typical heteronormative uh, relationships are 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 foreign to them as maybe mm. they as part of their journey and what feels true to them. So I think, I think, uh, both of them very much have huge feelings. Uh, they know that they're really great together. They know that they're better when they're together, um, because they each have a way of, of bringing out the best in each other individually and then being great together. So I definitely, definitely, you know, Josh is, is in a, let's work this out. We're going to figure this out. This isn't over. Hmm. I think, I think it's pretty, I think it's a pretty general consensus in the fandom that it was like just a relationship that none of us expected. And like at first we're just kind of like, what? And now we're just like, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I think I actually, you know, us too. I think I actually told Henry to his face. I was like, I'm not sold on their relationship when they first got <laughs> oh, introduced. Damn. But I'm yeah, getting there. It's been a there. season and a half, I think, since we're, it was um, the the werewolf episode last season, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have we, have we sold you? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, I'm pretty close. I feel like I was, <laughs> I was legitimately sad when they broke up, even if I saw it coming. So I think that's being sold on it. I think that's being sold on okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, so Michael, Danny pointed out in her notes, um, and when we were like texting back and forth about this episode, that Hades just kind of knows everyone's lives. Um, and, you know, we have these like books in the library that have now been burned that like have everyone's lives, but like he's a god. He doesn't have to read the books to know them. And I guess for me, that like raised the question of how you approach a character like this, who is basically like omniscient and uh, omnipotent. I was trying to remember. I was like, omnipowerful? That's not quite a word. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One of those O's, yeah. Yeah, so like what makes Hades Hades and what kind of background? Like, yeah, what what do you imagine is his backstory (laughs) as an actor? Like how do you have a backstory for a god? (laughs) For that sort of a thing, I don't think that, you think that much. I think mm. that if you know everything, then you're not questioning. And I think what was interesting for me when I read um, your script, Alex, is that there's something that he says, I don't know. Huh. There's a point where it's just like, yeah. I, I, I'm, he has to question something there. So yeah. you have all these books, you have all this information, you know everything. I'm not thinking of it in a way of... Um, that he has to question anything when when he when I was doing it for, for the um, tenth episode of season three, I felt like there was a, le- a little bit of pleasure in just watching Penny kind of like go through all these like little like what is this and cracks and everything like that. But it's like he he he's he's already kind of got it, and it's like you can make this choice if you want to. And so for this episode, it's it was interesting to have a point and have a little bit of evidence that there's something that he he doesn't know what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's so much development that has happened that we haven't seen between the last time that we saw Hades and now. Because, like, yeah. I mean, obviously we have 
OLU having died, and that's a big thing for him to, like, be in mourning. Um, but th- there's a bunch of other stuff that sort of happened in the interim. I always kind of wonder, like, we know that Reynard is OLU's son, is, <laughs> like, Hades also <laughs> a parent of Reynard's? Like, what is the... <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just curious how you fill in the gaps for yourself as you're going from, like, two seasons of a season and a half since the last time that you were on. I didn't pay so much attention to that as much as I paid attention to kind of exploring that. I don't know what the song is. It's that what if God was one of us, that whole oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> of thinking about like a God in grief mm. and what that is and um, sort of paying attention to friends and strangers and their sort of um, expressions of what grief is for them and what would grief be to a God, you know, how would, how would, how would he go through that? I love that (laughs) it's, it's like distancing yourself from home and eating Cheetos and stuff like that. And just (laughs) playing video games, you know, just distracting. Um, I thought that I I really liked that, but um, exploring that was really neat for me. I love that conversation between Hades and um, Allison Katie, where he's talking, where he basically says to them, like, for you, there's a place that you go. I don't, you know, I don't know what happened to my wife. Like, it is a different level of mourning. And I think that brings an interesting nuance and complication to it. While they have something to connect over, they're still never going to be fully on the same page about it. Yeah. Also, Hades also seems like really upset over the takers being raised in the door between the mortal world and the afterlife being opened. And I mean, it makes sense if it's going to destroy everything, but so many of the gods we've seen could give a fuck less about the humans. (laughs) And it's just, it seems like Hades is actually different. Does he actually care? What do you think, Michael? I think he's in an emotional place. And so I think that if he were somebody, at least from my from my stance, if he was somebody who didn't care, um, I think that he would just let it happen, just let the humans and everybody just let them do whatever they want to do. But I think that because he's inside of this like grief-stricken place and he's feeling emotions that I would say are pretty human, I feel like that um, – I wouldn't say distorts, mm. but for me it felt like that um, – that, adds to that that offers some sort of empathy of this is actually some big shit this is a big deal let me like you you should understand the gravity of this Mm -hmm. i find that really compelling especially because like like we were talking about before right he when uh, alice and katie try to kind of bond with him over their shared loss he, he does sort of push them away but i think that makes a lot of sense like of course when he is dealing with mortality, the most human of human things, that's when he would feel the most human himself. Well, he was also saying that, like, you know, he built the underworld for humans to be able to pass over, and he knows where they go, whereas he said, like, you know, he doesn't know where gods go when they die. That's a big question. Oh, I I think there's... There's that. I think that there's that human thing that we all do when we like reflect ourselves yeah. within each other and we project onto other people. And um, I, 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 I loved how the dialogue early on was sort of like blase. Like he's he's kind of not really into the conversation until it gets to um, it. It talks about like it starts to talk about loss, and he's like, "Do, do, do you even get this?" And he's starting to push it away because it's sort of reminding him of his own, mm-hmm. you know? He's just an emo kid at heart. <laughs> are, are, are all, are all, oh gosh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> a little bit. My chemical romance came back. We're all feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going back to what Michael said before, I love the way you put it where, you know, you're like, he he's somebody who's so used to knowing everything. There's really only one thing that he doesn't know and that's where gods go when they die and he's never had to really 
uh, face that in the face before. He's never he's never had to ask that question because it was something that never pertained to him. And now the one thing in the universe that he can't know uh, is the biggest question of all for him at this point. So um, I, I just love the way. I love the way you put that, Michael, because that's how that's that's how humans feel about grief as well. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys, I built this whole place for you. You're going to you know, there's so many options. Look, at I I've, there's a whole world for you when mm. you die. And then I know there's something beyond that for you as well. But he's just he's facing the kind of eternal question that he's going to ask himself the rest of his life. And he'll never know the answer to that. And he's having to come to terms with the idea of never having that question answered. Hmm. Like we as humans, we have answers for that. We have like, like our religions sort of guide us towards a specific place and we have this sort of thing. I love that there's that what you wrote with it being there's an absence of that. There's actually an admitting of a God saying he doesn't know what happens afterwards, which I feel is, even though he's sharing these like grief-stricken moments and he's sharing these these emotions that with these humans and everything like that with humans and everything, um, a God admitting that it doesn't know. Where usual activity with people is that it's a heaven and you're going to hell and I'm getting this and it's like this, this many virgins and all this sort of stuff. Like we have a set set of things that we already believe that we know, but this God is actually admitting and expressing and emoting like I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. So this isn't necessarily plot based, but uh you do follow the show, which we now know, <laughs> Michael. <laughs> so what do you think about the way that the the show is portrayed afterlife? I, I will also admit again that I'm um that I'm a bit rusty. I have I've missed a couple I've missed some stuff. But um going back to the library of it, um I've grown up with the sort of image that everybody's sort of written in one book and mm. just thinking about there being like individual books and all of this and just that. I don't know how to put it, but that, I, that, that fascinates me a little bit, hmm. thinking of it in that sense. Just it being inside of this huge library aspect. I love that. I wonder if the gods have books. I don't know that that's a question we've ever had answered. Oh, boy. Tabs on each other. <laughs> those would be like really real they'd have to have computers right like databases well i mean they're yeah. gods so they're, they're old like, so you know they're just like yeah. all handwritten and everything like that mm. like, 20, uh, i know who handwrites them <laughs> yeah oh, cassandra's super busy <laughs> um all right so uh i think we should move to one of the other plot lines now so why don't we go to the julia elliott charlton shenanigans um, I really loved. So, first of all, I mean, I think this is really interesting in general, and I I like that idea that like I feel like I've seen it before. I, I, like I've seen something similar where like stress in a certain sense will like trigger certain magical things, and I kind of love the idea that like Julia still hasn't fully come to terms with the fact that she's pregnant and going to have a baby, um, but you really see that she does feel very maternal toward it um when she is toward her future baby when she is trapped with uh Elliot and Charlton in the dungeon um but I also really liked the glimpse of like magical sex ed we got to see because it's so funny (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah that was one of the funnest parts of writing this episode not gonna lie um, I'm thanking you on Danny's behalf for having Charlton say that he was Todd. <laughs> First of all. Yes. Even though we couldn't get Todd, we got Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way that it gets, I love the way that it gets weird, right? Like when he tries to deviate from the memory, when he tries to engage with it in particular ways, Dean Fogg and Margot get weird too. Like they sort uh-huh. of. They tell him they can't tell him anything new, but they also sort of tell him new things as they're doing it. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. But yeah, like that baby, I'm really curious what's going to happen with it. <laughs> Danny, do you have any theories? Well, I, I feel like the baby has to be important. Like maybe Julia's dormant goddess powers have somehow made it its way into the baby. It's already a psychic traveler, so it seems like it's going to be relevant again. What do you think, Clara? Yeah, um, I have, 
I still think, like, it keeps me up at night that we never had anyone explicitly say whether Penny chose for her to be mortal or a goddess. Like, I know it's generally been assumed that she was mortal, but also we have the binder back this season, so I'm not fully convinced that, like, even if she is mortal, she can't become a goddess again. And I was thinking, like, I've seen a lot of different theories, and... One of the things that I sort of started thinking about myself is that it, it's pretty, it seems pretty clear we're headed toward like a fillery destruction storyline. Um, and this episode really made me even more sure of that. And in the books, Quentin is the one who does most of the fixing of fillery after the fact. But Julia says something, and she is a demigoddess at that point. She says something about how she could have done it, but she thought he would enjoy it. And so she like let him. Um, and there's also some comment she makes about how she's never really good at fiddly bits like coastlines. Um, so... It would make sense to have Julia take over that role, except that she's not a goddess right now. So, again, I think that could be fixed. And that she's pregnant. And so I feel like the baby has to fit into this somehow, that maybe it's a goddess or a demigoddess. And I was thinking about how, like, in the books, when you kill a god, it, like, releases all this um, massive power. Um, But Mm -hmm. I was wondering if maybe also giving birth to a god could do something similar. So I don't know that I have a full-fledged theory. I just have some, you know, wacky bits that I feel like could be interesting places that it could go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Alex, how fun was it to write Pregnant Julia? Because she is, like, you, we're seeing a whole new side of her character. She's so sassy and badass and, like, <laughs> I don't oh, know. Totally. One of the best parts of writing this Julia story, so writing writing Julia and pregnant Julia in general is is a lot of fun because of all the things you just said, but I, it was uh, I love that we come into her story when she's really at the end of her rope. We mm. have never seen Julia encounter a problem that she hasn't been able to find her way to the answer of. that's that's one of the cores of Julia's character, right? is she will not be denied. Uh, being a magician, having access to this information, finding out finding out the truth. And we come in on her and she's tried everything that there is to try. And uh, being able to write a Julia in that space was just so cool. Um, and seeing, you know, and, and having Elliot help her with the journey towards getting out of there was really cool too, because Elliot's, you know, if, if you think about their two, each mm-hmm. of their uh, roles within the group, Julia's the one who figures out the answer, you know, so everyone else kind of sits around, not sits around, but is, is part of it once she's figured it out. And he got to take a very active role this time when he's a, he's a little bit, um, in the past, he's, he's definitely messed things up before on the big plan, or he's definitely, you know, um, deferred to everybody else. And so for him to, to take the reins here and go like, I can't tell you, Julia, what's actually going on here, but you just have to trust me. And that is so foreign to her Mm. to be told like, oh, you have to just trust the mission and just be on board with it. So it was, it was really fun to play that kind of reverse dynamic for them and her reactions to it. And it's so interesting because I can think of exactly one other time in the series when they've had that dynamic. And it is also when Julia is kind of like, at bottom, it's um, when she's recovering after um, after what happens yeah. with Bernard, and yeah. he like they have very little relationship, but he goes up to her and he listens to her and he talks and he's like, want to put some pants on and save the world, and it's yeah. a very similar situation in a lot of ways. Um, totally, yeah. When he's like, I, I know how you're relating to that couch right now is very familiar to me. Yeah, that uh, they do. We don't yeah. get a we don't get to see every single uh, pairing of characters as often as the as we'd like to. But it's so fun to revisit those two because they 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 get each other um, because they've been through a lot of similar things and they've they've had some of the same struggles. And so getting to pair them up, just the two of them, is is, yeah. is pretty great. So um, we should move on to Penny and Plum soon, but I also, I cannot let this pass. You said Julia was at the end of her rope, and she's doing like a little oh. rope magic. Oh, yes. Danny's making, making a face rope, at me again. Some more rope. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, the puns. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's talked about it on here before, but Jay Gard is really the pun master of, of our room. Oh, yeah. He's going to be stoked on those. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we should at least briefly cover Penny and Plum, like I said. Uh, and we were both saying mm-hmm. earlier, like, the Eliphas character, ugh, he's the worst. Not like he's the worst that you yeah. 
like you shouldn't have written him, but like you did, you did good <laughs> no, at making totally. him press all of our buttons. Um, oh yeah. I don't feel like I know what's going on with him though. Like one thing I thought was that maybe he's part of the couple. And I think, I don't know if it was last episode or in the imaginary friends episode, which will come out soon, I promise. Um, but Danny, you and I were talking about how maybe the couple isn't an actual couple, but more like, um, like a secret, a secret, uh, you call those secret society um (laughs) of some kind which would be like an interesting way to to sort of tweak it from the books and also would allow us it it would allow for all of our theories about the couple so far who the couple is so far to be correct (laughs) um which is of course why i love it um because we could get like (laughs) marina as part of the couple and i still feel like she's got to be like she's coming back and she's got to be part of this weird stuff um girl likes power this is where the power is at. <laughs> so I like still feel in my bones that Marina is part of this. Um, but yeah, what do you think about that, Danny? I re- really do feel like she has to be involved. So Marina. I, <laughs> yes, but I did notice that during a table read that Arjun had posted quite a while ago, uh, like I think the last table read, Sir Effingham is actually resurfaces in the finale. What? So, Spoilers, Arjun. Uh, now, now I, I know. Now I feel like he has to be like the real villain all along. Like I don't know why, but like I just feel like he purposely set everything in motion this season. Mm. I could also buy that the Elephus guy is in on it as well. Um, and I don't know if we've seen the last of George either, because I would love some sweet justice. Like the women should burn him and Elphius alive, roast the pig too. Uh, <laughs> but, <Rose the bag. laughs> Marina can stay though because I love her <laughs> yes and we need to see her wife I really hope we get to see her wife before the end <laughs> um, one thing that I, I didn't see that uh, thing with Sir Effingham before you just mentioned it but one thing that that makes me sense that makes me think is if the couple is two people maybe the couple is Sir Effingham and Rupert no <laughs> <laughs> Not like as an actual couple, like romantic, but like as a as a like weird thing. That'd be too weird because they're like both played by Sean. That's why it would be cool because <laughs> it would be weird and cool. Danny doesn't buy it. It's fine. <laughs> I was right last season. She can be right this season. It's fine. <laughs> I do really feel like the time juice that Eliphas is taking from Plum is going to end up being related somehow, though, to what the couple is doing with the page. And the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me. I don't have any clue how things are going to come together because there are just so many elements and so many characters. But one other thing that does interest me is the timey-wimey shit that's going on in that room that Penny and Plum are in. Because Penny says it's been about a month since they've been there, but on the outside in Fillory and Earth... It doesn't really seem like much time has passed. So, Alex, what can you tell us about that? And as a writer, like, how do you keep track of all these different temporal <laughs> circumstances in the different parts of your stories? Totally, totally. So the the room that Penny and Plum are trapped in, it's a room completely outside of time. So uh, years and years could go by in there, and it that time um, doesn't move forward on Earth. So that's why it's it's Elephus's sort of prison, right? He can leave them there forever mm. as as sort of a torture because no time will never move forward. They will feel it, but not a single second will pass. So um, yeah, yeah, and it's his as a as a time traveler. It's a it's a place that he has discovered. So. That is that is the deal with the the we we call it in the script interior weird room. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it is it, that's the deal with the weird room. Keeping track of all of these, honestly, it's one of the the more fun parts of the job. Uh, on my end, the person who it's most difficult for is our script coordinator. He has to have a different uh, slug line and a different you know he tracks the days and nights of the entire show. So how much time has passed on Fillory since we've started the show? How much time has passed? on earth and how much time in the weird room and how much time in the library. And he has pages of these places that they're, that we're keeping track of. Um, so yeah, but honestly, as just a total genre nerd, that's, that's one of the fun things about being able to do a show like this. There are no limits to what we can do with that. I want to see those notes when the series is over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
they are, they are real. It's, it's pretty fun. Every, every time you write an episode, you go and you talk to him and he goes through all of them with you down each, you know, how many days passed on Fillory, how many days in the weird room. And it's just like pages. It's, it's awesome. I know this isn't your plot arc, Michael, but it seems like a good time to ask. In a show like this, there's just so much to the mythology. Coming in as a guest whose character is a part of that mythology, there's so much to get caught up on and keep track of. Like, people are talking to your character and the other gods even when you're not there. So how much of the show do you have to watch or get briefed on to dive back into your role after a break? So I I remember when I first was cast, I was looking through everything to try to find out like all the mythology and try to understand it as fast as I could. And um, realistically, I just didn't have enough time to get everything down because yeah, yeah. for me, I was like, let me try to get the books and let me try to read them all and everything. I was like, <laughs> I can't. It's not going to happen. It's an um, infinite world. But our, yeah, it's just too much. Um, but after watching the show already, I, like, I have a little bit of a taste of it. And then I was just like, let's not to focus on that part of it as much as it is the words that are inside of the scene because mm-hmm. it can be very overwhelming to try to drown yourself in a lot of research and mm. then when you're on set something changes and then you don't all yeah, of the okay. things that you set up for don't matter anymore so like all the prep that you do um if i i felt like if i were to prep a lot of that stuff um and be fixed to that coming back, something might change on the day that we're shooting and I would have been lost and wouldn't have been present. So I did, I did some and then I stopped and then I came to the day and we, we played. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a fun time? Like, cause previously, right. Penny was, or Arjun was your scene partner and now you got to be scene partners with Olivia and Jade. How is it different? Yeah. It was fun doing um, the first episode with Arjun was really great. And that was the first, <laughs> that was like the first TV thing that I'd ever done, really. Oh, wow. So um, he kind of moved me into all that, which was really fun. Because um, I, I was still on tour with Hamilton and just like shipped over to Vancouver to shoot for that and then went back to LA right afterwards. So it was really cool to do that. And then coming back this time, Jade and Olivia were um, really great to work with and we joked around a little bit and it, it, it felt very comfortable. Um, it's always great when you're, when you're a guest in someone's home in any type of show. Um, even with this, it's just, it's, it's nice when that you can tell that the cast that's already established the series regulars and anybody else who's, um, doing it, the crew and everybody, um, already have a rapport and they care about each other Mm. and knowing that they have already allowed a space for, newcomers to come and play again is always great. Well, one last question before we move on to fashion, which either of you can answer, by the way. Um, but Michael obviously has a musical background, so will we get to see Hades in the musical episode? <laughs> no way to shut off a podcast faster than to ask a direct question about the plot in the future. <laughs> All right, we will leave that one unanswered. <laughs> Any final thoughts from either of you before we move to fashion? (laughs) Oh, I just wanted to say about on the day when um, when we were doing that Hades stuff with Michael, uh, he it was incredible to watch. It's a big chunk of dialogue on the page, and you know he's got some conversation with Alice, but he is doing all the heavy lifting in terms of that scene. And Michael came in and had nailed every single word from beginning to end in every single take. It was incredible to watch and just delivered this amazing performance from the jump. It was, uh, it, it was incredible. Michael, I wanted to tell you that. That was just like <laughs> such a joy that day. Thank you. That was, that was really, it, it, was, it was terribly fun for me to do that. It was just, <laughs> did, I, again, you guys just created a great um, atmosphere. So it was really fun to just um, 
be there and to say those words. So yeah, thank you for writing them. <laughs> Alex, I wish you'd gotten to see him in Hamilton. It was so good. <laughs> I'm, so good. I, I'm jealous. I am unbelievably jealous. Just such... I'm actually, I'm going to see it next Friday, but are you still, Michael, are you still in it? Probably not if you're in, in New York. No, 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 I'm not anymore. Damn it. No. <laughs> <laughs> damn it uh, you just you brought I think what I really liked is that so I should say I do like the the LMM performance too but I think he plays Hamilton as more like naive but ambitious and I think you did a really good job of playing him as like he understands what's going on around him and he's very determined and I just thought it was great um, and uh, the end scene I can't imagine anyone else doing it better so anyway thank you <laughs> I'm done fangirling, Thank you I swear. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Um, yeah, so fashion, is that where we are? Yeah. Fashion time. So the first thing to note is that Hades, who is so impeccably dressed last time we saw him in the underworld, is in total slob mode this time around. <laughs> which I mean, <laughs> as Alice points out, like really fits the whole like morning theme uh, theme. But both in what he wears and in, like, the way he acts in the scene, like, with the video games and everything else, it really reminded me of Thor in Endgame. Um, just, like, more serious uh, and yes. less drunk. <laughs> less of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, <laughs> did you get that vibe, too, Danny? I definitely did. And it really does make sense with uh, his mourning. And I feel like that's why Alice was so able to recognize yeah. it right away. So in tune with it. Um, the other fashion thing I wanted to point out is how much Katie's fashion has changed over the course of the series. And I mean, I think we've noticed it at various points, but it just, it really hit me. And maybe because I was thinking about the end of the series when I was rewatching this, um, she's wearing a turtleneck in this episode. Compare that to like season one where she was wearing these like flowing skirts and bearing her midriff and, you know, looked very bohemian, um, She's been through so much, and it's no surprise that how she dresses has changed, but I still find it just really fascinating that she... I feel like she now dresses more like how Julia used to dress before she became a goddess. Um, And, yeah, like, much more... And and she's also just wearing things that are more practical as she takes on more responsibility. Yeah, she's a boss bitch now. (laughs) Got the boss bitch wardrobe. Hedge bitch in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I, I love it because, like, I feel like her fashion has evolved, like, the most. I think mm. other than Penny, um, she's seen the biggest fashion changes. And I do think she just looks fabulous. And I did notice that Benedict is still wearing the same clothes as when he died. Um, and Penny gets to wear a suit in death. So I'm just curious if that's something you choose in the afterlife. Well, Penny is employed by the library. It wasn't clear to me that Benedict was. Can, is that something you can tell us, Alex, or is it? Yeah, he's, um, that's the difference between the two of them. Penny, as an employee of the library, will dress like a librarian for the rest okay. of his afterlife. But Benedict is just a, a resident, a, a dead resident of the underworld. So he's going he's gonna to be wearing what he wore when he died until he moves on to the next place. Freelance cartographer. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Alex, talk to me about what everyone's wearing in this episode. How does it fit with what you envisioned when you're writing? Because I know there's like, I mean, I know Magali is a genius, and I also know that there yes. is sometimes collaboration. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, she is such a genius that for for the most part, um, whenever all the photos of the the cast come in, we just go, We our responses on emails are like, we love that so much. No <laughs> notes, you know? Um, just like seeing, seeing what she comes up with, because you have a vision in your mind of what yeah. the scene's going to look like, and then seeing what she comes up with for all the characters to wear, it just... It takes it to another level. We have such a big cast. We have some scenes that have tons of people in them, and everyone has their unique style. And it, like you were saying before, it punctuates what the characters are going through. Um, so for for this episode, I just love seeing Penny Forty in the suit. I think Arjun looks great in it, mm-hmm. and I just yeah. love I love that mid century uh, librarian look. Um, that Mogli is established on the show. So I just think that's such a fun kind of pop to what you see all of our characters normally wearing in, in the living. 
So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, not a lot of notes. I'm thinking pregnant Julia, uh, mm. definitely we've had to dress her a little bit different for the baby. But writing that scene um, and, the, and when her water breaks and everything like that, the all of their their Florian costumes while they're in the jail cell is um, it was it was cool to see it all come together. Um, and then, oh, Charlton, he's he's always wearing the same thing, but yes. he always just looks so, he is so Florian. And the fact <laughs> that I can say that is just, <laughs> like, looking at his costume, it's just like, you are so fillery. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. And, Michael, whenever we have a cast member on, we always ask, whose wardrobe they'd steal if they could? Arjun's is really comfortable for me. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, so I would, I, I think, but honestly... I think I would go back to Penny season one because it just mm. it, it just looks so badass to me. So um, yeah, I like that. Answer. Always the shirt open. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you want if we're if we're gonna go like if we're gonna get like tangential to the world of like the emo like something that's a little bit like breezy but cool something like that. <laughs> I feel like we're getting so much more diversity of answers to this this season than we have in any season past. Like previously, it's just yeah. been Elliot or Margot, and this season, <laughs> yes. What did, we got? What was the? We got a weird one recently. I'm trying to remember what it was. Do you? It was Josh. Oh, Josh. Yeah. And it was literally last episode. <laughs> Sorry, it's. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the memory between us. <laughs> She's, you know, seven years younger. She can, she still has some brain cells left. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, So time to move on to MVPs. And honestly, like, fuck y'all for making it so ensemble this season. It makes it so hard to choose an MVP every episode. (laughs) I think for me, the, the three contenders are Trevor, our guest here, Michael, and Arjun. Trevor, because we get to see a lot of range from him in this episode, and Josh as a character yeah. keeps getting deeper, which is just so nice to see. Um, I also really liked getting to see him act alongside a kid. Um, yeah, they work really well together. Good. And thinking, right, like Trevor used to be a child actor, so it, it kind of feels like it's there's some nice symmetry there. Um, Michael, I'm putting you up because honestly, it's just such a great performance. Um, we've only seen you in two episodes, but there's such a great Shakespearean quality to the way you play Hades. Um, and it really feels right. Uh, he's a god. He has exactly the right kind of gravitas for a god. Even though the last time we saw him was two seasons ago, it feels like there's a real character continuity. He's sadder in a darker place, but still fundamentally the same person. And Arjun, because anytime he's playing two pennies in the same episode, like you, you gotta at least give him a nod for that. Um, I genuinely don't want to pick between you all, but since I basically named half the cast as my MVP last time, I'm going to give it to you, Michael, because you're here, and that's going to give you the slight edge. Oh, yay. (laughs) Danny, what about you? you. Well, you always steal mine if you go first, but... (laughs) The feeling's mutual. Um, I was between Trevor and Arjun as well, though, too. And I honestly love how much Trevor is in this season. I love Josh so much, and I feel like he's slowly becoming more and more like Josh from the books. And Mm. it's been a beautiful thing to watch. Um, Arjun, though, like you said, plays two pennies, and he's so good at it. They are very different pennies, and he'll go from playing it literally just one scene to another, and it's just like you can still always tell the difference. Um... So I, I think I'll split it between the two of them. Thanks for your two cents. <laughs> <laughs> that one was one too far. One pun too many. <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> um, Alex, how about you? Who's your MVP for this episode? Oh, man. It's really tough because... Uh... Um, when we were breaking the episode, we broke it with so many more Hades scenes. We're like, this is we're gonna we're gonna have so much Hades in this episode because we we love him as a character and Michael does such a great job. We're like, we want to have as much of him as possible in this. And then as we're you know as we have to whittle it down to an episode size of television, um, we only wrote him into the one scene. But I think he just, like I said, he came in and just knocked it out of the park. And even just watching watching the episode, the the way that he um, the way that he 
delivers the he just carry the way he has that gravitas of the of a god but also um the way he he just nails that last line where you know that something really fucking bad is happening it was just it was uh it was awesome so i'd i'd agree i'd i'd go between michael penny because he played two people and josh because this is tough you guys <laughs> see amazing doing yeah but let me let me recognize some of the other the other folks on this in this episode too i thought all having all of the girls in one scene yeah. together was so much fun having fen margo Katie and Alice all figuring out this problem from like a badass lady cabal oh was God. so, so fun. So I'm going to, I'm also going to say the, the lady ensemble. We didn't even mention this, but I think my favorite line, single line delivery in this entire episode is Brittany eating the sandwich, talking about how great female friendship <laughs> is. <laughs> She's like crying. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, Michael, what about you? Is there anyone you want to shout out? I haven't had the privilege to see the episode, but I would love to shout out Jade and Olivia for being such great uh, scene partners and making the space so welcoming. And also Shannon, the director, and um, again, Alex for um, writing <laughs> it. <laughs> so, yeah. Solid. Just, just a lot of love and appreciation, gratitude for all of y'all for that. So thank you. Solid. Well, we're at our final analysis, which, oh my God, I can't believe we're already here. Um, I really like Josh's storyline and especially the way it intersected with Alice, Katie, Margot, and Fens. And like you said, Alex, it's nice to see all the girls together. It's just so rare. I'm a little bummed that we didn't get to go deeper on Alice in this particular episode since she did like lose her fingers and mm -hmm. her magical powers like half a second ago, but I think a lot of, one of the things that I've been excited about is that a lot of people have been suggesting that what happened to her in 509 could be setting up the Cassandra plot line, which would be really cool and I'd be very happy with because I've been wanting to know how that goes down forever. Though I would also be sad if that's how Alice's story ends. Um, the yeah. Julia Elliott Charlton and Penny Plum arcs were a little bit less compelling to me, but I think that's mostly because I just have less of a sense of where they're going to go. And so I'm, I'm still sort of waiting for some of that to be filled in, which I expect will happen sometime very soon. Um, just couldn't happen in this episode because there's too much to get through. So that's most of my notes. What about you, Danny? Um, well, there's so many loose ends that need to be tied up before the show ends. And I'm so scared of just like not getting enough. And I'm all for an ambiguous ending, but not if it's too ambiguous, you know, like in the magician's land, it's like the perfect amount of ambiguous. Um, so with that knowledge, it makes it like harder for, for me to settle with this episode. And I want more time with all of them. So like, say, like, I'm also, like, super shipping, like, Elliot and Rupert, a.k.a. Rulian, <laughs> like, so much that it's, like... <laughs> she got to plug her ship name. <laughs> that, yeah. She's been waiting, like, six weeks to be able to announce that ship name. <laughs> I have, I have. Um, but it's, like, there's so much to develop there. Like, yeah. if they are going to become a ship, like, it's, like, there's so much to develop with like three episodes left. And I do realize like there is like the possibility of like a time jump and in time jumps, you can usually at least get like a feeling for what has happened. Um, but he was only in the episode for like five seconds, um, Rupert. So that sucked. But <laughs> of course um, there's also another potential apocalypse happening and like, it sounds like I'm saying a lot of negative things, but there are so many positives as well. Like I loved Unlike you, I loved the <laughs> Julia Elliott Charlton scene um, because I think that Julia and Elliot just like have it such is. an underrated partnership, and um, I love that they're the ones that are going through this together. And um, Charlton is just also just fucking hilarious. Um, but I think pretty much everything did work for me. It's just more of a worry that I know it's going to end. Yeah. So it, it makes the episode like kind of harder to be like, okay, well, there's so many things it's setting up now. Well, 
And on that note, I'm going to uh, announce just so that people who know, if you don't follow us on Twitter, we have set up a campaign there to try to save the magicians. Uh, don't know if, you know, we don't know how effective we can be, but uh, we'd really love for you to join in and help us try. And if nothing else gets to show uh, Alex and Michael and everyone else who's been involved with the show how much we love it and how much it means to us. Um, so, yeah, head over there and check out our campaign at Physical Kids Pod. Um, before we go to the outro, is there anything else anybody wants to say about this episode? Any final thoughts? Get ready for the rest of the no. season because there's some fun stuff ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we've reached the end of our time. Alex, Michael, thank you so much for being here. It was just delightful to geek out with you both and to fangirl at you a bit, thank Michael. <laughs> Same. You, well, thanks for having us. Well, yeah. I think that's everything. Listeners, thanks for joining us, too. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Bye! 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 Bye. <laughs> Mind slide. Mm-hmm.